Now, if you're under 40 years of age, you probably don't remember this. But I remember going to a little barber shop when I was a kid, and I thought they had these little tubes of Brill Cream. You remember that? Uh, and uh, they were little tubes, and they had a little twist bottom to it, and this Brill Cream stuff, would it was kind of hard. And, you know, everybody wore flat tops back then, and, and you would put that Brill Cream on your hair, and I guess it made it, I don't know what it did to it. <laughs> it made it stand up or something. Um, but I always thought that stuff was kind of cool. But the, the, the slogan for Brill Cream was Brill Cream, a little dab will do you. You know, that's all you have to do is take just a little dab. I'm sure, like I said, if you're over 40, you remember that. If you don't, you think this is really weird. But um, that expression I would like to apply to our relationship to God. Because I think there are people who think that a little dab of religion will do you. And it won't. How many people have you ever known, or, well, maybe you don't realize how this happens, but what, what happens frequently is people who will have no use for religion, well, until they have someone in their family that needs buried or needs married. And all of a sudden, religion becomes important. We, we've got to have a preacher. Who's going to marry? Or who's going to bear? And so sometimes people will start coming to church right before they say, hey, could you marry my son or my daughter? And uh, th- those things happen. Religion is used as, as a convenience for a lot of people. Um, when we get in a tight situation, a sticky time, when life circumstances are a little bit difficult and we find ourselves in a, in a straight um, Maybe we better start going to church. And those things happen. And and people think that by just kind of using religion as a spare tire only when needed, that that little dab will do them. But I would suggest that it won't. And the Bible suggests that. And that's what I want us to look at. And I want us to examine our life and to make sure that we don't treat our religion like a, a can of real cream thinking that just a little dab will do us. The Bible portrays people in a good relationship with God, and they're rejoicing, and they're happy, and, and their life is fulfilling. But I'll tell you what, I've seen people that are absolutely miserable in their Christian life. And, you know, I've brought this up before, but if you want a recipe for misery, do this. Sin... Or be, try to walk with one foot in the world and one foot with God. That, that's, that's a recipe for misery. Because if you're trying to, okay, well, I have enough about Jesus, you know, I, I have enough Jesus about me that if I walk in the world, I really can't enjoy my relationship to Christ because I know I'm being a little hypocritical. I know that I'm not really being faithful to Him. I know that He knows that. And so I really can't be a happy Christian with one foot in the world because that's hypocrisy. And then you can't, you can't really enjoy sin if you have a, a little bit of Christianity too because all the while you're sinning, you're thinking, well, there's a payday. I, you know, I, I'm doing stuff that's wrong. Your conscience bothers you. You feel guilty. And so people who try to just have a little bit of both 
find themselves in miserable situations. They can't, they have too much Jesus to enjoy their sin, and they have too much sin to enjoy Jesus. So they're miserable. I want to show you how the Bible speaks very clearly about the fact that we can't just have a little dab of religion. In 1 Kings chapter 18, um, there's the showdown on Mount Carmel where Elijah takes on the prophets of Baal. And uh, there's this confrontation. It's going to be a big deal. They're going to call for their gods, and Elijah is going to call for his god. And uh, this is going to be a big showdown, and somebody's going to die at the end of the day. And so Elijah tries to rally the children of Israel. And, and he, before they have this contest, he says, who's going to stand with me? And I guess nobody would much volunteer And he asked the question, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? Or if we were to say it today, how long are you going to straddle the fence? Make a decision, folks. Pick a side. Don't don't wait till the outcome before you decide whose side are you going to be on. Pick a side. Uh, Elijah said, it's time to pick a side. Choose a side. Are you going to walk with God or are you going to walk with the world? And we need to make that same choice today. When Joshua comes to the point where they're going to cross over the Jordan and enter into the promised land at the end of Joshua, well, close to the uh, end of his life. He raised the question in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. He said, we've got a decision to make. We can serve the God of the the Ammonites and so forth. We, We can serve all these false pagan deities, or we can serve the God of heaven. We've got to make a decision. Now, he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What you all do, well, you're going to have to decide. But regardless of what you do, we're going to serve the Lord. There's no room to walk with both. We have to make a decision. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, we have to make a decision. We can't serve God and serve money or mammon. We have to make a decision. We can't have two masters. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 23, the Bible says, you know, he that is not with me is against me. And if you're not gathering, you're scattering. There's no middle ground. You you can't sometimes be a friend of Jesus and then sometimes be a friend of the world. If you're in that situation, you're not a friend of Jesus. You are a friend of the world. You can't be both. And then, of course, Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea was lukewarm. They were not on fire for God. They hadn't abandoned God. They hadn't denied God. They hadn't turned out the lights and walked away and never come back. But they just, they were lukewarm, going through the motions And the Bible tells us that when God sees that in them, he brings judgment upon them because of it. It's intolerable to him. It's like drinking lukewarm water, he says. You you want a cold, refreshing drink of water, and you put that lukewarm water in your mouth, and you spew it out. You spit it out. That's what it's like. And so God says, no fence straddling. A little dab won't do you. You're either all in or you're all out. Let me give you some examples of a few people 
And I want you to consider their life, and then we'll bring this lesson to a close. And, and as we sing this song of encouragement tonight, I want you to consider where you are. Are you trying to get by with just, just enough, just a little dab, and think that that's sufficient to God? Well, if you think that's sufficient, consider the case of 2 Kings chapter 15. There's a case of King Azariah. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with him, and we can't go through all of it, but he had a problem that some of the other kings had. He didn't fully follow or wholly follow the Lord. His father was a man who walked in the ways of David. That's a good thing. David was a model of being a a king. Yeah, he made his mistakes, but his heart belonged to God in spite of his mistakes. And so when in chapter 14... Amaziah's father, Azariah, excuse me, Azariah's father is said to have walked in the ways of King David. That's a compliment. But then it says, but he didn't do away with the idolatry, the the high places where they would worship pagan deities. He left those standing and wouldn't come down full force on that. And so that was the knock against him. And then his son takes reign in uh, 2 Kings chapter 15. And read with me. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. That's a long time to reign. We have presidents for four years, and at the most we have them for eight years now. And we think, boy, what would happen if we had this president or that president for 50 years? Can you imagine? Well, whether that's good or bad, imagine the influence that somebody could have over society as a whole in that length of time. This man begins reigning at 16, and he reigns 52 years. And listen to what it says about him in verse 3. And he did what was right... In the sight of the Lord. And if we could put a period there, it'd be great. But we can't. According to all that his father Amaziah had done, except that the high places were not removed, the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. Um, Now, the Lord didn't strike him because of this failure to remove the high places. But it does show an inconsistency in his life, a, a, a split loyalty. He doesn't want to ruffle, apparently, too many feathers. He wants to follow God. He follows God except that he let other people do something that he should not have let them do. It was wrong. He should have taken a bolder stand. He, he was trying to walk in, in two worlds. Now, the reason he was struck with leprosy isn't because of the high places. It was because of an arrogance that he had as he entered into the temple or the the tabernacle on one occasion. He said, I'm going to offer sacrifice to God. And the priests all kind of block him and hold him back and say, no, you can't do that. That's for us to do. I know you're king, but this is for us. You're not a Levite. And he said, I'm king I'm offering a sacrifice. And the Bible says that his hand immediately turned leprous, and he turned leprous 
white as snow because of his sin, his arrogance. Sometimes we get a little presumptuous when we think we're walking close to God. We took a little... What, what is it? Familiarity breeds contempt, the, the expression. You know, God and me. Oh, we're tight. We're close. I, I can do... You know, he's not going to come down hard on me because of this or that, because we're close. Well, this tells me that God is to be obeyed. And whatever you may think of yourself, whether you're king of God's people, you are not on a par with God. And he's still to be respected, and his authority is to be respected. But here's a man who walked in the ways of God accepts. You don't want that said at the end of your life. Oh, he was a good man. He was a godly man. He was a godly woman. Why she did this and this and this. Well, except she had this problem. She wouldn't get rid of We don't, we don't want to, to uh, nurse some weakness in our life. I don't want to come to the end of my life and have this dichotomy where somebody says, well, on one hand, he was a really good guy, but you know, he had this going on. We need to do better than that. The Bible tells us of other people, um, well, Romans chapter 5, verses 20, uh, well, through all the way through chapter 6, verse 22, the Bible describes the change that takes place in us when we become a Christian. Because here's the problem. When I arise out of the waters of baptism, I'm a new creation. I am pure in the eyes of God. I have no sin. And while I want to do right, there's still something within me that tempts me to do wrong. My flesh. There are things that I may absolutely disdain and hate, but because of my weakness as a human, I'm weak to those things. And so you find yourself saying, I want to follow Jesus and I want to do what the Bible says and I want to go to heaven more than anything else in the world. And then tomorrow you go out and you talk like you're not supposed to talk. Or you do something you shouldn't do. Or you talk behind somebody's back. Or you're hateful to somebody. You lose your temper. What about all that? Does that mean that we're, we're walking in two different... Can it be that there's a difference in a Christian who's trying and one who's not. The Bible describes in Romans chapter 6 of one who has been freed from the dominion of sin. When you become a child of God, you won't quit sinning. The temptation to do the things that you didn't want to do or before you were a child of God, those temptations will still be there after you're baptized. But those things won't have control of your life. Before you were a Christian, what obligation did you have to anybody other than just to go ahead and fulfill the lusts of your flesh? Who do you owe? When you're living for yourself, the only person you're concerned about is yourself. So you were free to do whatever you want to, and you just gave in. But now that you're a Christian, you fight it. It no longer has dominion. It's not the rule in your life anymore. It's the exception to the rule And that's the way we need to approach life. But if we don't get that under control, and if we don't understand that sin is to be the exception rather than the rule, we're not living the kind of life we should be living. We can't live unrighteous lives and claim to be holy. 
and claim to be righteous people. And by way of example, two kinds of people just come to mind that kind of had this little dab mentality. And here's where it gets you. And it, and it describes two different kinds of people here even today. In Acts chapter 1, verse 17, also John 13 and verse 3, we read about Judas. Judas was a disciple of Jesus, an apostle, a hand-selected person of Jesus. And he walked with Jesus for three years. He was with Jesus. You know, if you're going to compare it to... He wasn't somebody that just said, Ah, Jesus, who needs him? And he didn't just walk on down the street and, and do his own thing. He was with him. He walked with him. He saw his teachings. He listened to them. He was there with them the whole time. But while he was with them in, in his presence, his spirit wasn't right. He sought opportunity to betray his Lord. And so there are people who can be with God, but not really with God. And Judas was one of those people. He was physically present, but his spirit, his heart wasn't where it ought to be. And that's where we may be, and that's where this little dab... You know, if I think that if I can get myself up on Sunday and bring myself to a building and and not miss too many weeks in a row, that I'm good with God because I've got that little dab, that doesn't cut it, folks. That's not much better than what Judas did. He was with the Lord, but he really wasn't with him in spirit and heart. And that's where some people are today, even. And then there's another person, Demas. Demas was a real worker. As Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4 and Philemon, um, he writes, sends greetings by way of Demas. Demas is one of his fellow companions. He's a hard worker. He's with Paul, and when Paul writes these letters, he says, oh, and by the way, Demas says hello. Um, you know, good guy. But by the time Paul wrote 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, he makes mention of the fact that Demas, who was once my companion, has now forsaken me. Having loved the present world, that's the reason for it. He turned his back on the Lord. And so here's a man who literally, at one time, seemed to have given his heart to God, but he's gone in presence now. He's just abandoned the faith, walked away from it because of what the the world has to offer. And do you see people like Demas? I dare say, I haven't been here as long as most of you have, but I dare say there are pews that are empty tonight that used to be filled. You can probably look to a particular pew and say, you know who used to sit right there? So-and-so used to sit right there when they came, but they're no longer here. They didn't die. They didn't move. They have just forsaken the Lord. Like Demas. You can't just go a little ways and then turn in the way of the world and think you're okay with God. And so we have this dilemma, this choice that we have to make with our life. Halfway doesn't cut it. A little dab won't do you. God makes it abundantly clear that I need all of you. And if you won't give me your all, I don't get anything. 
And so I have to look at my life and ask myself, am I trying to get by or am I wholly serving God? Am I like the king in the Old Testament who served God but not with a whole heart except that I wouldn't get this, that, and the other rights? We're going to sing a song of encouragement in just a minute, and I want you to consider the fact and realize that a little dab of religion, it won't do us. God sees through it. He knows our heart. He knows our motive. We're either for Him or we're against Him. We either gather for Him or we scatter. Give yourself wholly to God. Serve the Lord with zeal and fervor and energize yourself realizing that if I'm to get to heaven, I've got to serve Him wholly, fully. And it won't always be easy. There will be obstacles along the path and they'll challenge us and our faith will be weaker at times and other times. But keep in mind that sin needs to be fought. Don't ever give in to it. As a child of God, if we will keep fighting sin, not that we'll live perfect lives, but when we make a mistake, we we don't stay down. We fight it, and we, we pray for help and for forgiveness and strength. If we live that lifestyle, we're heaven bound. Nothing can happen to you because of what we talked about this morning, the blood of Christ. If you're here tonight and as you examine your life, you may see that I've really just kind of been playing at it. I've, I've not given myself wholly to the kingdom of God and to Jesus, the head of that kingdom. And make it right. Seek him fully. A little dab won't do you. Give yourself wholly to him. And if we can assist you in that tonight, won't you come as we stand together and sing?